Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co, where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice. Welcome everybody to Building Teams with Teams & Co. We're really excited today to have uh, Jeff Kaplan joining us. He's the director of Venture Asheville, which is part of the Economic Development Coalition for Buncombe County. Jeff's also a recent co-founder of Just Kibitz, uh, and we'll let him tell us more about that as we jump in, but welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's, it's great to be here with the whole team and <laughs> Co. I love it. Love it. <laughs> uh, we uh, we were actually joking the other day because I um, we obviously in our name spelled Teams and Co with the extra e because of of the play on words. But um, I literally misspelled the word Teams because I added the e in like normal text. Uh, so I've now I now think I'm trained to to write it as the company name. So a lot of branding going on. <laughs> you know when you when you when your phone starts autocorrecting Teams with the e, then you really made it. Exactly. If, uh, if, if that'll be my new, that'll be my new measure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jeff, uh, listen, that, we'd love to hear a little bit more about you, just kind of to jumpstart our conversation and get the audience to, to know a little bit more about your background. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your work at Venture Asheville and, and we'll get started. Yeah, great. Yeah. Happy to. So I've lived in Asheville uh, a little over four years and I've been the director of Venture Asheville for two and a half. And Venture Asheville is a startup resource provider uh, for, for the area. Um, a lot of communities have something like this. Ours is unique that it's funded by the Chamber of Commerce, the city and the county. So we're a part of a public-private partnership with the charge to build high growth entrepreneurial ventures in, in the Asheville Buncombe area. And uh, the thrust of this is because our, our area, our economy is, I shouldn't say totally dependent, but there's a significant portion of the economy in leisure and hospitality. Right, this is Asheville. We got the Biltmore and the Grove Park Inn and all of downtown and the great breweries and restaurants and shops and retail, et cetera. Which, while we have a pretty competitive, great job market and pretty low unemployment, usually not coronavirus, but generally, you know, we've led the state for 20 years in lowest unemployment. The jobs that we have tend to be low skill, low wage jobs. So, if you have high growth ventures um, in the tech space or health space, that focus on knowledge-based work. So people that need to have degrees or not degrees, but necessarily experience in development, design, engineering, some of the consulting work you have out there, um, knowledge-based work, sales, marketing, et cetera, HR, even finance, those jobs are, are gonna be demanding far higher uh, wages than our low-wage, low-skill work in our leisure hospitality sector. So that's how we exist and why the city and the county and the Chamber of Commerce uh, created Venture Asheville eight years ago was to create a force for developing entrepreneurs and getting these startups funded to grow in our area, to create these, again, these higher paying, better jobs, which overall impact the quality of life for everyone living in the area. That's great. And I think um, I've lived in a lot of different cities. Uh, uh, as many as many folks on listening to this show know now that uh, my career has been in marketing and sales. And, and often when you work in marketing and sales, you get moved a lot, right? Like, hey, lead this new sales territory, open this new market. And so I've had the, the the benefit of living in a lot of cities in my life. And one of the things I was most impressed with when I moved to Asheville was the incredible resources for startups. I have never seen a small city 
support startups and support ventures in such a comprehensive way. So I think you guys are doing a really great job and um, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about some of the efforts that you do in terms of supporting startups. Uh, so our listeners can learn a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, great. So um, I'll give, I'll give the, 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 the kind of the nickel tour is that I say at Venture Asheville, we built entrepreneurs and get startups funded through three core initiatives, mentorship, financing, and programs. So for mentorship, we use the MIT Venture Mentoring System, which is used, I think, in 90 or 100 locations now. It's team-based mentorship where you know, we put a founder at an inflection point in their business, usually around that go-to-market stage, and put a team of mentors around them. And it, it, it's pretty regulated. It's pretty strict, uh, but has great results. I mean, uh, the program has created something like 35 or $40 million in local revenue just while companies are in the program created 180 jobs, direct jobs from companies in the program as, as they're growing. Uh, about 100 companies have gone through, you know, one third of those are gonna fail out within a year, one third kind of stay perpetually, and one third graduate out to execute longer and, and, and get into the business. On the financing side, we manage a small angel group, the Asheville Angels, which is part of the Venture South Syndicate. We have a micro-grant program, and we also do a startup road trip, where again, we capital is limited in our area. We know Asheville is only 100,000 people, so uh, once a year, we pack a van full of founders who are raising money. We drive across North Carolina, or we go into Georgia and Atlanta or Chattanooga and Nashville, and we hold pitch events. And for me, it's like going to summer camp. I get to be in a van with founders for a week, and it's just it's the best week ever, just pitching and pitching and, and hanging out, and it's just so much fun. I imagine it's what rock stars must experience. It's just a taste of, a taste of the startup road trip. Uh, and then programs and events throughout the year, we do things that will... Um, impact or build capacity. So it's, uh, we do the Asheville startup games, which is uh, silly, fun, competitive stuff between startups. And every startup has to make a, an ante, you have to pay, you know, your entry fee, and you pick a nonprofit, and then the winner at the end of the tournament, uh, all the money goes to their nonprofit. And it's things like they're playing cornhole and, and <laughs> giant Jenga and Mario Kart and games like that. that and it's super accessible. Anyone can play and it gets all the startups out there, chit chat, get to know each other. And it's for a good cause. The big event of the year is called the Venture 15 Adventure Asheville Honors. As you know, you live in a lot of places and I hear this all the time. People say, like, oh, you're from Asheville. I thought you guys only had breweries out there. <laughs> that, that is like, you know, one kind of startup. But we also have, you know, a healthy tech sector and a pretty fast growing healthcare economy here. Um, so the Venture 15 was created for us to understand like what actually is the impact of startups in the area? Like, you know, you have tangential or occasional exits or investments, but like, overall, like, how are we doing? So the Venture 15 is our version of the Inc. 5000. We rate and rank the 15 fastest growing startups in the area. And we do that through compounded annual growth rate. Everyone submits their financials. One of our local accounting firms audits everything and then produces the Kager. Uh, and then we announce that at a, a great big old grand event. Um, this year, for example, we know that the top 15 startups in the area brought in $62 million in local revenue. This smashes the last rec year's record by $20 million, $12 million more than the year before that. We learned things like um, what percentage of startups are owned by women in our area. Uh, last year, that metric was 66%. Two-thirds of our fastest-growing startups last year were women-owned. This year, that went down to 40%. So it's a difference of, uh, what, 10 to 6 or something. And so we're, we're trying to understand why we're seeing uh, this happen. But also, we've noticed that the average age of fast-growing startups went down by almost two years. 
So three and a half years old is the average age of one of our fast-growing startups now. So we have more revenues than we've ever had. We have younger teams than we've ever had. It's like, what's what's going on? And the other thing we look, two other things we look at is number of jobs, so how many people are employed by those 15 companies, uh, which also decreased over last year. Again, we, we expect the coronavirus had quite an impact on that. So smaller, younger, more nimble teams. Uh, and the sectors that are growing, again, are tech and healthcare. Uh, are making the most revenue, which is again expected given what the economy is is reflecting, uh, reflect what the economy is, is how the economy is performing. And the last thing we look at is number of co-founders in the venture fifteen, uh, and we find that this year I think it was twelve of the fifteen companies have co-founders. Last year, like thirteen. So there's some. So and then I, I take all this and I make a, jo- <laughs> a joke about it and say, so if you want to have a fast-growing startup next year. Get a co-founder and go in healthcare, all right? And then you're going to be all set, basically. And obviously, it helps if it's a female co-founder. Um, you just have higher chances of success that way. But yeah, so we found that you know this is a un- somewhat unusual market. You know, we are pretty geographically isolated. We don't have uh, a tier one or one university out here. With there's a kind of tech transfer happening. Innovation comes from the ground up. Um, but but there is a, a strong startup scene, um, and to to make it here, you you really do need a co-founder. What um what when you speak to the 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 startups and the co-founders what do they say kind of helps that or drives that success right so as you're thinking about starting a startup and you're thinking about whether or not I should have a co-founder obviously from our perspective that extra person gives you kind of that start of a team um but what are they saying are some of the benefits that they find in having that co-founder as they're launching Accountability is a really big one. And we noticed this with single founder teams versus co-founder teams that there's out here lots of folks who are entrepreneurial that maybe they're hobbyists or passionate about something and they can create a lifestyle business out of this, whatever whatever it is. Maybe they're making some kind of craft or um, maybe, maybe they're in tech and they built some kind of cool app. We don't see them hitting that next level in the growth curves that we see when people have co-founders. And I think accountability is a big part of that. Because when you're accountable to a partner, it's not just you, you know, you, you have expectations of somebody else and they have expectations of you. And so I think there's a certain amount of just accountability and pressure responsibility that you feel when you have a co-founder. You can't let this person down. The intrinsic motivation really helps. The second thing is, is division of labor, right? You co-founders have different skill sets. Yep. Um, you know, obviously that, that helps, you know, so it's not redundant. And just someone who understands what you're going through, right? So we see a lot of our sole founders craving uh, a peer mentorship group we have. This get together and they kvetch and they compare notes. And we hear things like, um, how, how are you all handling your inventory management systems? And they get together and they all chit chat about, you know, what IMS is using and why. And so with having someone who's in there with you in the fight, shoulder to shoulder, really it proves that there's more success in the accountability, the share responsibility. Occasionally, it comes with funding, depending on the situation of your co-founder. Maybe, that, maybe that's how your deal is structured. But that, that is really significant and cl- a clear differentiator in success for a lot of founders or a lot of, a lot of startups. No, we've, we've heard the same thing. We actually wrote an article, and this was one of our points in our article as well, around like the seven things we learned in our first year. And, and one of the things was that we kept hearing this over and over again from startups or even small organizations, right? Maybe they're not on that high growth you know, curve, but they're they're kind of growing their company steadily 
and not having that counterpart or that person to bounce ideas off of, or to your point, that kind of complementary skill set. That's where we've seen a lot of success with with organizations where if it, you know somebody has one skill set and the other person can complement that, they have a little bit more of a well-rounded founding team. Not to say you can't create that in other ways, but we've heard a lot of success stories in terms of yeah, you know, I I knew the business or I knew the product and this person knows finance or this person knows tech. They could really bounce ideas off of each other and kind of get to a better spot. So you also have two networks then, right? Like you have two networks that you can draw on for mm-hmm. other advice or other support systems, which which we, we've heard a lot of, uh, you know, positive things about when we're working with smaller organizations. Yeah, that, that's certainly a good point. If your co-founder and you, or if you and your co-founder don't have that complementary skill set, at some point, you're going to have a what we call a crucial conversation right, where it's for us to grow. You know, one of us has to be the CEO. One of us has to do this, or someone's going to have to eat the vegetables. Or whatever it is, you know, at some point you have this conversation where you're going to have to divide your labor. So the more differentiated your skill sets are, the more clear it is who does what. Uh, we've got a company right now we're working with that um, they they just raised a fantastic fundraising round, and now the founders need to talk about who's going to be CEO. And one of them wants to be co-CEOs. And the other one doesn't think that's a good idea, right? So, and they have very similar, very, very similar backgrounds and skill sets and degrees and everything, right? They met in school in their academic program. So we're having this, uh, helping them get through this process. Again, it's, at some point, the conversation always happens. I think it's easier when, you know, you have the hacker and hustler combo, right? You're a CTO and CEO. And it's like, look, you clearly do the code. I'm going to sell and market the thing. That's how we're going to work well together. Um, and then you, you know, you disagree on things like feature prioritization, which is, you know, easy to actually pretty easy to work out when you get user feedback. Put another conversation on product market fit. We can talk about that some other time, Tracy. Just to go off topic. But yeah, if you don't have complementary skill sets, at some point you'll have a crucial conversation, which isn't a bad thing, right? All founders have to have these crucial conversations with each other, especially with a partner who you can spend as much time with as like your spouse or significant other. So just you have to know how to navigate those conversations. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that those are really important conversations to have. And we we often speak about them in terms of just making sure everybody's aligned, right? Like you you don't want to mm-hmm. be running down the down the road in two different directions and not know it just because you both have a a vision that you haven't just said out loud. So those are <laughs> those are incredibly important mm-hmm. conversations. You mentioned with the the mentoring program, but also maybe some of these informal groups when people are just kind of getting together as part of Venture Asheville. It sounds like there's a, a lot of opportunities within the organization for startups to get together and have more of that informal team, right? So they can bounce mm-hmm. ideas off of other startup founders. Maybe they're bouncing ideas off of their mentor team. How, how do you all think about kind of that informal team network for startups in the, in the Asheville area specifically? You know, it's so important to, to know you're not alone especially as, as I'm learning more about mental health and how many founders struggle with mental health at different points. Every founder faces so much doubt, even when you have co-founders. And I, I, you, you reference, I have a, a side project, a venture on my side. And one day, I remember my co-founder and I just like vented to each other about how much doubt we both have in our project on different parts of it. It was like really therapeutic to be like, well, that's not a big deal. And here's why. Let me show you what you know. Anyway, doubt, knowing people are, are with you, um, seeing people who've done it before. It just, just you need that as a founder to, to get through it because it is... Everything is harder, costs more money, and takes longer than you think it will. No matter what you're doing as a startup founder, nothing's easy. Um, you got to be crazy to do this. To, to, to like, hey, that's what I want to do. Because the reward's fantastic, right? The, the freedom, the liberty to control your schedule, right? To, to have a big payoff one day at the end when you get acquired by some huge company. Um, 
the the startup of being a founder and you know all the accolades you can get as a founder that's cool a lot of people like that it's really hard getting there there's a lot of um failed attempts and which is all part of the process but having your informal team people like you who are in your place or can empathize with what you're going through uh, without that you you can't get through it you can't you can't get through the startup journey yeah, we we actually I was I was talking to somebody about this a few a few weeks ago because it was one of my biggest learnings, right? Like I I founded Teams and Co um as a solo entrepreneur, but and it was really hard in the beginning, especially when you speak about teams all day, then to be kind of operating without a team felt really, you know, just like a disconnect, right? Like you're you're kind of like having one conversation but still building the business um and it was really it was really turning a point for me to be able to start to build out the team. And it's something we speak about a lot, right? It, having individual success is really exciting, but having that like larger impact when you're a part of a bigger organization, it just starts to feel more impactful and exponential and, and being part of that community that's, you know, there's a joint celebration going on, right? So I imagine with the Venture 15 celebration, mm -hmm. there's that, oh yeah, we all, we're a part of this list. We're a part of this thing that's happening and it's much bigger than just any one of us individually. There's this group mm -hmm. uh, group uh, success that's happening along with it for for Asheville for all the organizations and creates a lot more buzz. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I play you know playing sports as a kid, I uh, played individual sports and team sports. I always enjoy a team win so much more than an individual win. It's a lot more fun uh, to celebrate and high five. And like I was I was, I was a high school wrestler, right? Yeah. So I'd go on the mat and do my thing and I win and like high five my team. I'm like that's it. And then like then I would sit and like cool off and just like replay the whole thing in my head and whatever. Team win. Like when 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 the team wins the World Series, right? Like the, the, the dugout clears and people are like a riot in the middle of the field and like that mosh pit. Like nothing compares to the energy and that feeling. Um that, that's something incredible. And, and that's what we try to recreate with the venture 15, right? It's like it's not like the World Series mosh pit, right? But <laughs> as cool as that is. I'm gonna start using that branding. Uh, <laughs> it's great to just be like, yes, we are all pulling in the same direction, right? We all want a future in Asheville that is is one that is resilient and and diverse in and founder and diverse in industry. And here's how we're doing. Here's how we did the last couple of years. And here's where we want to go in the, in the future. Kind of the, the line I threw out all the time is, um, all birds fly south for winter, but the ones who fly in formation get there faster and look better doing it. And that's a big part of what Venture Ash and Venture 15 is all about. It's like, this is our chance to, you know, get us all in formation and look towards next year and have some fun and celebrate along the way because we do have a lot to celebrate. That's amazing. We get a lot of sports references on, on the team's podcast, but we don't get a lot of nature references. So that one's the one I'm going to borrow. I'm going to use it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a lot to learn from, from birds. Uh <laughs> it's like a whole other podcast that we can have, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, well, we're we're really interested, and we want to hear a little bit more about Jessica Bits. If you'll uh, indulge us mm -hmm. in terms of you and your co-founder and the team you're building out, sure. and what you guys are doing. Yeah, happy to. So, um, I love Mike. Mike Ovia is, is my my co-founder. Um, when you talk about complementary skill sets, I mean, Mike and I have like we're not in common, and it's crazy. So. I, I also do a, a customer segmentation and customer like mapping workshop for our founders. And I use Mike and I as examples of de demographically, we're almost identical. Both first generation Cuban Americans. We both grew up, actually grew up in the same zip code in South Florida. Uh, and that's where uh, we're about the same age is a couple years on me. Both middle children. Uh, I mean, it's just 
like demographically, you know, we, we, we are like in the same bucket. And psychographically, we could not be more opposite. Mike is a senior software engineer at his global software consulting. Mike has, uh, he's in a fashion, a whole different way than I am, right? He's got the Converse shoe in every color of the rainbow. And what his outfit is, he's wearing that Converse shoe. Like I, I wear the same duck boots every day, if it's raining or not. Like we're just not, he's not in the same mindset at all. But we get along really well, I think, because we complement each other. And so I, I met Mike. Um, it's also a lot, a lot of companies start from employees of another company. And we were both working at Anthroware, which is a custom software development shop here in Asheville. I just got the desk next to Mike. He was senior software engineer. And I was brought in as, as product owner, consultant, helped out with sales, just kind of kind of a utility player, just jump in and do everything except write code. Um, and, and so because of that, like Mike and I, oh, we, the, from the beginning of our relationship, it was like, I don't know what's in code. I'm not going to code anything. You're going to do that. You're going to make those decisions. But together, we'll create these plans. And together, we'll, you know, occasionally you got to come on a sales call with me. And uh, I'll do your code reviews. And I'll, I'll, do, I'll do QA. And then, you know, and when it comes to features and prioritization, you kind of referenced before, you know, it's like, you know, I've got my feelings. You've got yours. But at Anthroware, you know, we learned how to do, um, uh, you know, data-backed decision-making and, and using design thinking and design learning principles to get to what needs to be in the product. And so we, you know, we, we developed this common language, but Mike's great. You know, again, it's because he and I are so complimentary and, and that is kind of our secret sauce to why we get along so well, but it's also a huge amount of respect for each other's, you know, uh, perspective. And, and, you know, we know when to yield to the other one's expertise. Anyway, we're kind of going on a rant here about co-founders. Let me tell you more about Just Kibitz and what it is. So, Gosh, years ago, six, seven years ago, uh, my wife and I went down to South Florida to visit my mom. It was like Thanksgiving or something. And I was doing something with my stepdad. And my, my mom pulls out this computer, this laptop. And she pulls my wife over. And she says, hey, hey, come look at this. What do you think about these girls for Adam? And my mom then showed my wife dating profile of Adam on JDate, which was a Jewish dating site. It's like match.com for Jews. And my wife realized that she was looking at a dating profile my mom made for my little brother to help him find a date living in Boston at the time. We thought this was the funniest thing ever, that my mom was so worried about Adam that she created a fake dating profile for him to get him a date. Uh, especially because when you add into it, I come from a like, traditional Jewish family, and she was worried you would never find a Jewish girl and all this other stuff, right? <laughs> so I'm kind of like, I was in grad school at the time, and doing product development courses and thinking like that, that's a real unarticulated need. The way that parents and, and close family traditionally helped family members find significant others and spouses, it hasn't come online yet or it hasn't been done the right way. So and I keep an idea journal. This is it. I've had it since grad school and I just I constantly are adding to it. And then one of the first ones in there was this idea for a dating site where mothers create the profiles for their kids and they don't talk to other kids, they talk to other mothers. And if they think the kids would get along and they set up the date. And it went through lots of variations and name changes and we settled on just kibitz. Kibitz is Yiddish for chit chat. And <laughs> uh, when, when kids get set up on the dates, and I can just hear my, my mom saying, when she would try to set me up with somebody when I was in high school or college, don't worry, Jeff. She's fine. It's not a big deal if you don't like her. No pressure. Just kibitz. Like this is so trying to set the expectations and, and uh, really low. 
for anybody who's getting involved in one of these dates to reduce the barriers and the cognitive blocks for people to jump in and do this. So that's what Just Kibitz is. Uh, we raised a little bit of money on it uh, last year. We launched officially in October 2020. Um, and we got like a thousand or so users on there. Moms are matching. Uh, it, was, it was a real gamble. Like, would moms sign up? Would they pay to use it? Then would they even pay to get the kids to go on the dates? So here's the secret sauce is when you ask a millennial, would you want a date set up by your mom? They only say yes 50% of the time. And then we say, but what if that date was prepaid? And they'd say yes 92% of the time. And so that became the secret sauce to just kibitz is the redeemable date. And we, that became the kibitz. And so you buy kibitz credits and you buy gift cards and they're sent to the kids on the dates. Uh, we actually have, we have a provisional patent on that process, um, which is unbelievable uh, and pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it's going really well. So, so Jeff, that's that's a great overview of just kibitz. I, I think I'll ask the um, I'll ask the question many of our listeners might be thinking about, which is, you know, how do parents and and their kids often talk about this conversation of of getting comfortable with their parents starting, uh, you know, a, an online profile for them for dating, and what are some of those ways that you've you've kind of connected with your customers around the customer need, because it sounds like you have a really good understanding of your customers. Um, but I, I'm imagining that kind of question is top of mind. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we've yeah. done a ton of customer discovery, um, everything from surveying people, going to JCCs and synagogues and asking rabbis for recommendations of, hey, who can I talk to that's going to, who's your biggest yenta? Who loves Mahjong? Let me talk to that woman. And we think of first with the psychographic. Uh, Tony Robbins says the two greatest motivators are fear and love. And so we work on both. Right, the, the parents are afraid their kids don't refine anybody, and it's it's for the pursuit of love. Right? We're trying to bring more love into the world. So, uh, knowing the psychographics, uh, we we and, and there's not like one kind of Jewish mom out there per se. And there's not one kind of Jew out there. Um, and I've worked in Jewish. I, I went to yeshiva. I, I've I've worked with Jewish organizations for years and years and years. I'm not just like some guy who's like I think the Jews are a great market. Like this is like my cultures and my people. Like, anyway, I feel like if you didn't know me or my background, it'd be a really weird part of the conversation to jump in on. So I feel like I had to put that out there. We know it's 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 the the moms who are concerned or have fear that the kids are never going to find the right person, or it's on the other side of that, it's it's kids and moms who have these great relationships that they already talk to their parents about their dating status, and the parents are doing this already without having an online tool. So we're just helping them do this online, uh, and there's a lot of people in between. So from customer discovery individual interviews. One of the most impactful things we did was we went to a Jewish heritage festival here in Asheville. It happens once a year for the Hard Locks Festival. And they gave us a booth. We paid 200 bucks to have a booth and put these big signs that said, um, <laughs> warning, just kibitz may lead to adorable grandchildren. And people were like, what are you talking about? What is this thing? Uh, another sign that said, be the yenta you were born to be, just kibitz. And they would come in and we had this raffle thing and they would give us information. They could win a t-shirt or a free month or a Mahjong card, all kinds of silly stuff like that. And then, uh, but that process being out there for eight hours. And one day at a Jewish heritage festival, we talked to two, 300 people that come and say, what's this about? And some people walk by and say, no, you shouldn't do that. No, that that's intrusive. That's, that's not respecting your kids. Uh, other moms would walk up and go, Oh my God, I've been looking for something like this for so long. I can't believe you're doing this. Are you guys live yet? When are you guys, when can I sign up? And that kind of process of buying behavior, getting pricing information, people walk up, we had different pricing screens we would test. Like, yeah, it's $19.99 a month, or it's, yeah, it's $1.99 for a year. And just kind of see what people would, would balk at and what they were into and what seemed easy. 
Uh, so, oh, we can sign up today. We'll give you 60 bucks for two years. I mean, it just, it's kind of random, but just seeing like, what, what are people going to buy? Is two years seem like too long? I think, why would I be on a site for two years? I want to find someone right away. Or maybe it's six months is a sweet spot. So all those factors, we just kind of, you have, you have to test. And so, yeah. you know, you, you have to assume that you don't know the right answer. I don't, I don't care if you built this product for yourself. You're, you're not the only customer, right? So you have to talk to a lot of customers. And um, that was an incredibly, you know, uh, high return of learning for that 200 bucks we spent to spend all day at the, the festival. And it, some of it was brutal. Some, some of it was just, you know, people insulting us, like, how dare you? You know, what do you think? Who do you think? What do you think you're doing? The rabbi, I know you're doing this. <laughs> yeah, the rabbi loves it. She talked about her sermon last night. That, anyway, <laughs> that, that truly happened. And she asked the guy organizing the festival, what's new? What's new at Hardlocks? And he said, oh, you got to hear about the site in Just Kidding. And we were her Saturday morning service the day before the, the Sunday festival. So her sermon was, was great. Could, no better plug than the rabbi telling you, go see this booth and talk to these kids. Um, anyway, uh, and we learned that it's a lot easier for us in the beginning of our launch. Like, you know, we want people who love us. We're going to say, this is the best. My kid's going to love it. We're going to use it. I'm going to tell my friends. We want to find those people desperately. Right. And it's, it's worth the time and energy to find those fanatics, our early, early adopters, that will, will be ambassadors for us. And we do the incredibly unscalable for them, right? We send them gift boxes. We send, uh, they have my phone number, they have my email, they can contact me anytime. Uh, I'm like pen pals with these women. They tell me the kids are going on dates. I follow up a date later. How did it go? You know, know all the kids' names because I can see their profiles, right? They know about my kid. You know, we're talking about Hanukkah. We're talking about what I got my kid this year. My grandparents got this and this. And then we're joking about our house is full of little kid crap. And she's like, oh, just wait 20 years. You'll be on my side of it. So, you know, and just building these like deep relationships because we want them to love us. When we find people that are on the fence, we don't spend that much time with them. You know, we, we say, look, here's everything we got. Here's some blogs. Here's how it works. Here's what moms say about it. Here's some great proof points. Um, look, talk to your kid. If your kid's not into it and you're not going to be into it and it's not going to be a good fit. So, but, you know, check it out. No pressure, just kidding. That's our whole thing, right? You know, in the beginning, when we launched our landing page and got a little bit of press, we got some really nasty emails from people. Uh, it's the same kind of stuff, you, you know, you expect to see of, um, you're crazy, this offensive, there's a rabbi on there doing it's all the kind of crazy things you hear. And um, just send them a quick note. Thanks for your feedback. I'll share it with the team. That, it's, not, it's not worth it right now because we're so young, right? We're only, we've only been in market for three months, our third, it's our third month in market and revenue positive. And we're growing by about 20, 25% every month. We want to keep hitting those numbers. And we're doing that by doing the intentionally unscalable, giving people these incredible early experiences. Well, it sounds like you also know your customers incredibly well, right? And I think it's a it's a good lesson for startups in terms of you can't serve the entire market. You have identified a niche that's really valuable, that really finds your product helpful. And for that niche, you're creating this incredible customer experience, which we often talk about, which is not just focusing on your customer, but putting them at the center of your company. And right now, your core customers are clearly at the center of your company. They have a direct line to you. And to your point, that may not be scalable in the same ways over time, but you're building that community that these customers will go out and they'll talk about you. They'll talk about that great experience. And then down the road, you'll find new and exciting ways to keep that experience alive. May not be the same way, but it's, you know, it'll, it'll still feel really genuine to them. And I think it's a really valuable lesson for startups to say, hey, it's not, it's not that you're trying to ignore people. You're just trying to put all of your energy into your core, your core customer 
And your core customers are really going to love that, right? They're going to love the experience because that's what they're looking for. Yeah, think about the, the cost benefit, right? It, it's really hard to change someone's mind. It's a lot easier to introduce somebody to a new concept and a new way of doing things. Yep. So that's how we couch it, you know, is this is what you've been doing anyways, and that way to do it online with all these other moms. And you actually have more choices, more opportunity um, as opposed. To, so when it comes to how do we, the question always comes up is, well, how are you going to scale that? How are you going to stop? You know, the, when you have 10,000, 100,000 users, they can't, everyone can't have your cell number. It's like, right. So we'd like to open a call center. It's only open during regular business hours. That's full of these moms who made it. You know, and it's like, hey, once you've made it, you want to stay involved. Why don't you help other moms out? You know, so we hope to hire our first customer service agents from our current early users of moms and let them pick up the phone and talk to other moms. Um, so right, there's no emergencies. We don't need 24 hours support. <laughs> 24 hour turnarounds fine. Um, I don't know about you, but I hate getting help tickets and sending help tickets. So I want to email like one person or call one person. And uh, we want to keep building relationships. You'll get that mom's going to be your buddy or something like that. You're going to call the same number every time. And only two or three moms are going to be able to pick up, whatever. So that's kind of the concept, right? Hit people who love us. Have, hope them have a great experience. One day we can employ them to be customer service. And then they're going to have that fulfillment of, you know, helping moms on the other side. No, that 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 level of community building is is really that's an ingenious kind of approach to, hey, people who have gone through the process can help other people go through the process, right? So it's kind of that that mm -hmm. mentality of, hey, we've been there, we've done this, let me help you through it, which uh, sounds like to me creates even more of that community. So that concept <laughs> came from a book called Radical Marketing. I'm blanked out on who wrote it, but it was a chapter on the Grateful Dead. And what the Grateful Dead did that helped them become so successful on the road and these, these amazing tours they did was they found the best people on Shakedown Street making merchandise for the band about the tours. And they would employ them and say, you do such a good job. Why don't you work for us? Keep doing what you do, but be on our team, right? And people caravan and became their transport and logistics people. It's just, you know, when, when the people who love you the most, you know, if you can have them actually turn them and really become part of the team, you have a loyalty that no one else can match. That's awesome. We'll uh, we'll look up the book and we'll uh, we'll put it in the show notes so folks can uh, folks can check it out too. Well, Jeff, thanks. You have been great, and I think that we've covered a ton of different topics here. Is there anything else, kind of, as we kind of wrap up the conversation, that you think it's important to kind of share with our listeners uh, of building teams and through your experience of Venture Asheville and now as a as a co-founder yourself of of Just Kibitz? When you start your company and you have your co-founder, every group goes through storming, forming, norming, performing, even if it's one other person. You know, those four steps are so critical. In the storming and forming phases, I think it's a good time to learn mindfulness techniques and grounding exercises. So you, you give yourself space to react and reflect or responding to your co-founder or your nascent team because you want to set your team up for success from the start. So um, looking to some mindfulness work, uh, mental wellness is great. It's good for founders, good for everybody. Um, and, and use that with your team. It's awesome. Thanks, Jeff. And, and thank you so much for your time. It's been, um, it's been really fun reconnecting this morning and, and having a chance to catch up and hear everything that's going on with you. And always lovely to talk about Asheville. So thanks again for your time. <laughs> My pleasure, Tracy. Next time we can meet in person, I look forward to grabbing a beer or something in Nashville. <laughs> that sounds great. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you. See ya. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams & Co. 
to learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.